So, here we go. Ready? 2 Chronicles 29 and 1. Hezekiah. Everybody say Hezekiah. We're going to talk about Hezekiah's revival today. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. He reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Come on, everybody. It pays off to do the right thing for God. Righteousness still matters. Living right, doing right, doing God's will still matters. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that, it, that David, his father. Now, I've got, got a little Bible question for you. Was David his father? His father, we're going to talk about today, was a bum. His father was a carnal jerk. He was a rotten, no good, bad leader. And bad leaders are bad news because bad leaders take people off the cliff with them. The good news is, though, he didn't take after his immediate biological father, whose name was Ahaz. But he reached way back into his lineage somewhere and found an example of a godly man. And he said, that's who I'm going to pattern my life after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you don't, didn't have maybe the best examples growing up, you ought to thank God that you can reach back into a spiritual lineage and you can find some examples and be what you've never been, do what you've never done. Come on, we are not destined to repeat our past, especially if it was a bad past. If your father was an alcoholic, doesn't mean you have to be an alcoholic. Amen. He did what was right inside of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. He in the first year of his reign, notice, in the first year, first thing he did, in the first month. First year, first month. Opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Jesus, thank you for the word. Thank you for the spirit that's here. Please help me. I can't do a thing without you. Talk to us. Feed us with knowledge and understanding out of the scripture. Anoint your word. Anoint me to preach that word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, his predecessor, his father, um, was a very bad, not just leader, but a very bad man. And uh, it seems like many of the revivals in the Bible, it's, uh, it must, it's put there for, for our understanding and to give us purpose and hope that many of the great revivalists in the Bible had fathers or predecessors that were, were absolutely terrible. Uh, Josiah's father, remember, he had a terrible father, and in spite of that became a great king, a great revivalist. Hezekiah had a father who was, was just a, a, a terrible, terrible, terrible leader. His father instituted in, in his lifetime the changing of the worship of Jehovah to the worship of a multiplicity of deities and all kinds of gods. They worship all different kinds of gods. It is interesting that false worship will often turn into perversion. I read a scripture just two days ago, and I pointed out to my wife, I thought it was, it was fascinating, it was powerful. It says, they followed after vanity, and they became vain. You get it? They followed after vanity, and they became vain. Their identity was not vain in the beginning, but they followed after vain things. And, man, I feel Jesus here today. Ooh, I like that. And, and when you, what you follow is what you become. What you follow is what you become. Well, Ahaz is following after all of this idol worship, and he's involving himself in just genuine bona fide mess. They're worshiping in the high places. They're building altars of false gods. They, 
I mean, the depth of their depravity reaches new low levels in that they took their very own babies. They took their babies and they brought them to their false gods and they would plunge, the priests would plunge the knife into the heart of those babies and kill, they would kill their own babies as they worshiped them and offered them to gods of fire. What a capricious, vindictive, nasty, ugly spirit. I mean, what, what possesses a person to kill their, their, very, own, their very own children? I, I know we've got a lot of, I'm just really trying to behave. And I'm not going to be political, but I am going to address cultural issues from a biblical perspective. And so, some of you may have saw the social media post that came up the past couple days. And it's a picture in front of a Planned Parenthood clinic. And there's a, there's a two-way thoroughfare. There's a, a road in front of that Planned Parenthood clinic and it's got painted all across the the uh the uh concrete there it says babies lives matter babies lives matter what kind of culture kills its own children the innocent among us and that's exactly what we see in, in Ahaz, this wicked leader, the depths of his depravity bring him to the lowest place where literally they're, they're killing children, they're worshiping false gods. And basically to add insult to injury, it's uh, 2 Chronicles 28, 24, tells us that Ahaz took all the vessels of the house of God and, and broke them up in pieces. He busted up all the implements of worship. And the Bible says... One of the most dastardly things he did was to shut up, to shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. He shut up. Man, I feel like preaching here this morning. Nine, was, nine o'clock was a little rough. I don't know why, but it feels a little better here at 11. That's the great thing about two services. One don't work, you always got a second chance. So, and you want to be in the good one, so... 9 o'clock, if anybody's watching from the 9 o'clock, you want to make sure that's good. If you're in the 11 o'clock, you want, that, you want your service to be good. What was I even saying? Where, where am I at? He shut up. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. Sounds like America. Did he just say it? I just said it. Sounds like America. We got preachers right now that are fighting for their constitutional rights. I'm trying not to get political here. I'm going to tell you why I'm addressing this, because the enemy knows. The enemy knows that if he can shut the doors of the house of God, if he can padlock those doors so that nobody can come in to worship, that nobody can concentrate their lives on spiritual things, that the priesthood isn't ministering and doing what it should be doing. When the altar is not burning burnt sacrifices. When the altar of incense is not offering up that sweet smell sacrifice into the nostrils of God. Representative of prayer. When the sacrifice doesn't happen, the enemy knows that God's people will go into a darkest of night in the dark ages spiritually. The enemy knows that. If he can just get the doors of the house of the Lord to get padlocked and shut tight. My Bible tells me that's exactly what happened during Ahaz's term as a leader. Fortunately, another man came along whose name was Hezekiah. 
He was not an old man. He was 25 years old. Can I say this? Don't you ever let age discount you from your ability to be used by God. In fact, many of these revivals we've been going through, they were instituted by an 8-year-old King Josiah, a 16-year-old King Josiah, a 25-year-old King Josiah that begins to pray and seek the face of God. We got a 25-year-old Hezekiah. It's not about age. It's about availability. And when someone says, even though my daddy was an ungodly man, even though my Daddy brought us to, into, into terribly dark places. Uh, I made up my mind there's a good God, and I want to serve that good God, and I want to follow the word of that good God, and I want to seek after that, that good God. Come on, somebody. I know this church is filled with people, some of you that were raised in church, and I thank God for that. You had a mom and dad that taught you to come to church and live for God, and that's a wonderful thing, and we thank God for that. But I also know that I'm in a mixed multitude in some ways, and you may have not have been raised in church. Uh, you may have been raised on a bar stool or raised around parents that were smoking dope in the room next door, but I'm so thankful that regardless of your family roots, uh, we've got a good God that can create a brand new reality of revival for the future that you don't have to be what your mom and dad maybe were that you can rise above all those things and have yourself a revival a revival Woo. Man. a revival and that's what Hezekiah fundamentally functionally did and do you know I read the scripture to you 2nd Chronicles 29 the very first thing he did the first year the first month of his reign the first thing that he did what was it that he did? The first thing. He said, we're going to open the doors to the church. Because he recognized the vitality and the importance uh, of corporate worship uh, and us getting together in the house of the Lord uh, and making sure that God is first in our lives. Come on, cartoons on Sunday morning are not first in our lives. I'm preaching this to our online audience. God bless everybody that's online today. I'm glad you're online. Maybe you need to share this right now while you're in line because you got a, you got a family member that's watching cartoons right now and they ought to be listening to preaching of the Word of God. That's good preaching. Amen. That's what Hezekiah did. Watch Hezekiah 29 and 4. The Bible says he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the East Street. What did Hezekiah say? We got to open up the doors. And he said, we got to get some ministers back in the church. I want you to know something that ministry matters in the church. Godly leadership matters in the church. I know a lot of you are thinking when I say that, your first thing is you're like, yeah, it matters that we have, we have a pastor. It matters that we have a preacher. And that does matter. But I tell you what else we need. It's plural, priests and Levites. We need godly fathers, godly church leaders, godly life group leaders. Come on, we need the doors open and leaders leading. Men and women that are determined that God's house and the work of God and revival, that they really, really matter. Come on, put your hands together under the Lord. It matters. Come on, folks. This matters. Working for God, living for God, loving God, it, it matters. Because devoid of that, when people forget the kingdom, 
You see the, the work of the enemy here? Because when they shut the doors of the house of the Lord, what happened? Everybody just started doing their thing. People, people you know, it's all, about, it's all about fun. It's all about my job. I want to encourage somebody today. Life isn't all about your job. You're like, as if it was. <laughs> it isn't, though. It's not about how much overtime I can get, how much money I can make, how many zeros in my bank account, how fat my 401k is. There's something that goes beyond my 401k. There's something that goes beyond the amount of money that I can accrue. You know what it is? It's having my focus on God. That's the things that really matter. And when the, when the nation went into apostasy, and so much of this is applicable to America right now, when the nation went into apostasy, you know what everybody did? They just dialed away from their walk with God. They got away from the word of God. And you know what their life became all about? It became all about self. It came, became all about fun. Hey, there's nothing illegal about fun as long as it's not illegal. Okay, we're not, we don't have a conviction against fun, but life isn't about just having fun. Well, I had you for the first eight minutes. I don't know what happened now. It's not just about how big of a bass boat you can get or what trophy you can put on a wall. There's a lot more that goes to that. The good, I'll tell you what else it's not all about. It's not all about my family. You want to really talk about the American Idol? Jesus did not say in Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first your family, and all these things will be added unto you. He did not say that. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Pastor, you're saying your family doesn't matter? Absolutely not. They're vitally important. But I tell you what matters first of all. It is my God. It is my relationship with God. It is the kingdom of God. And if I put God first, then guess what? I'm going to have a stable, solid, strong, blessed, anointed family if God's first in my life. But if I put family first, if I put fun first, if I put self first, if I put job first, guess Guess what? You lose it all. But the good news is, if you put God first, you can gain everything else. If God's number one in your life, if God's first, preaching about revival, because that's what he did. He said, we got to open up the house of the Lord, open up the doors of the house, repair the doors. Can you imagine how pointless our lives would be without church? It would be. Oh, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, the benefit, the blessings that we have. And Hezekiah the revivalist says, it matters. The altar of incense, Hezekiah says, it matters that somebody's minding prayer. He says the table of showbread, it matters that somebody's baking fresh bread. And he says it matters that there's word, fresh word in the house of the Lord. He says it matters uh, that there is a priesthood that's officiating worship. He says it matters uh, that everybody would have access to the Holy of Holies, uh, that the presence of God and the power of God and the person of God and the influence of God would be accessible and available to the people of God. And so Hezekiah says, come on, we got to have a revival. We got to get back to church. We got to get 
make those doors open. Come on, America. We need to open the doors of our churches. We don't need the liquor establishment and the bars open and even the restaurants. What we really need open is the churches to be open. Come on, Brother Hodges, I'm with you. The churches need to be open in California because California doesn't need more protest. It needs more that will lift their hands in worship and praise the name of the Lord. That's what California really needs. Oh, hallelujah. So Hezekiah begins a series of reforms that brings the people back to a focus on God. Notice with me what 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 3 says as a testimony of Hezekiah. It says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places, break the images, cut down the groves, break in place pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Five, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him none was like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Why? Six, for he clave... To the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. So he institutes, initiates a revival where they're tearing down the junk and the mess and they're cleaning house and they're opening doors and they're they're instituting and refreshing worship to God's people. And verse number seven is where I want to hang here for a minute. And the result of that was what? And the Lord was with him. And he prospered whithersoever he went forth. I've got good news for the revivalists in church. You know what? If you put God first, uh, God can prosper you. There are some people that falsely assume that if you want to have a great life, then the way you go about having that is you just go after it. You just go after it yourself. If you want prosperity, go after prosperity. You may have to work uh, and sacrifice your family. You may have to sacrifice a whole bunch of stuff. If you want prosperity, you got to go after prosperity. My Bible tells me right here that Hezekiah didn't go after prosperity. He went after the Lord. And when he went after God, then God gave him prosperity. You know what the key to prosperity is? I'm going to follow after God. I'm going to have me a revival. I'm going to put the kingdom first. I'm going to put God first in my life. I'm going to make that the most important thing in my life. And you'll never have to worry about your needs being met. Because he supplies all of your needs according to his riches and glory. When I put God first, then all of a sudden I can look behind me and what's that following me? Oh, it's goodness and mercy that are following me all the day. I'm being, I'm being followed by the blessings of God. The blessings of God are upon my life because I put him first. Oh, hallelujah. This brings me to what I really want to preach about. This morning, and that is Hezekiah's revival. Because this season that I'm talking about of godly leadership, of spiritual focus, brought about God's blessing and revival, and it brought a season, a resurgence of innovation. Innovation. That's my message here this morning. Revival of innovation. Now, I know. We oftentimes maybe don't think of those being compatible words. Revival, innovation. Revival, creativity. Really? What does creativity and innovation have to do with revival? Well, actually, it has everything to do with revival. 
When God begins to move on the hearts of people with revival, you know what people start saying? You want to know if revival's moving in your heart, if it's moving in our church, if it's moving in our community, you want to know how? Because when revival begins to move in a person's heart, when revival begins to move in a church, you know what people start thinking? Man, what could I do for God? What could I do for God? Does that sound real different than our culture? Our culture is what can you do for me? But when revival starts moving, you know what we start thinking? What could I do for God? Oh, my goodness, I'm so excited. Man, we sang. We've been in altar service. We've had the power of God moving. Man, I feel goosebumps on my goosebumps. Whoa, I've been in the presence of God. Wow, I want to do something for God. Whoa, I've got some ideas. I'm telling you, when the presence of God starts moving and revival happens, you've got to know that there is going to be a growth of cutting-edge developments and innovation that will not only bless us but will bless generations to come oh clap your hands under the lord oh jesus help us here hallelujah 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 and that's exactly what happened with king hezekiah king hezekiah institutes initiates a revival and in response to that revival god blesses him and hezekiah becomes one of the greatest innovators in the Old Testament you've ever seen. As a result of the revival that was in his spirit, God blessed him and God gave him ideas. And we need that. And we need that. I want to talk about two primary innovations that Hezekiah brought to us. The first innovation that Hezekiah brought that was an incredible, incredible invention. During the time of Hezekiah's leadership, Whenever the enemy would come against a city, what would they do? They would besiege a city. They would cut off its food supply, and they would try to cut off its water supply. Because obviously, if, you, if your enemy can starve you out where you don't have food and you don't have water, he can kill you graveyard dead. There was a spring. There was a well and a water source that was noticed on the outside of the walls of Jerusalem. It was called the Gihon Spring. So when they needed water, they could go outside of the walls, and thankfully they had that water source that was there. The unfortunate thing was that that water source was outside of the walls. What that meant was when their enemy came against them, he did like any enemy does. He tries to meet us at our well. That's where the predators hang out, at the well, because they know at some point you're going to have to get a drink. And so the enemy knew, I, I can, if I can get their water source, I can defeat Jerusalem. Hezekiah gets bubble, 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 light bulb, anointing, invention, revival. Hezekiah's like, you know what we need to do? We need to get that that well that's on the outside. We need to get the well on the inside. It's one thing to have a supply of refreshing and renewing that's on the outside, but the enemy can camp out there. If we can ever get the renewing on the inside, then the enemy can't, he can't get us in that way. So Hezekiah probably gets his best and brightest together. And they, they begin to think about, strategize, talk to God. Man, somehow we got to bring this well inside of the city. How are we going to do that? Because it's 1,800 feet, six football fields between the city and Guy and Spring. How are we going to get it? And to top it off, the difficulty is the fact that it's solid rock. 
for 1,800 feet between the well and the city. And so as men got to working and one group of men started at the well, the other group of men started inside of the city and they started carving through solid rock. 1,800 feet. No sonar. Right? No GPS. Just guys pounding on rock, pounding on rock. And do you know that after a series of months that they met in the middle, and historians tell us that when that tunnel met in the middle, which is now referred to as Hezekiah's Tunnel, that tunnel when they met, it was only like a foot off, that they met right in the middle and they connected that 1,800-foot tunnel. It was a miracle invention. And then they were able to take the water that was in the Gihon Spring and send it 1,800 feet underground. So that it could come up in the city. And then they took the Gihon Spring and they buried it. So it was unrecognizable. So now they had a flowing spring that was inside of the city. So when the enemy came against them. And the enemy said, we're going to dry you out. We're going to starve you out. They said, Psalm 46 and 1. There is a river. The streams whereof make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God is in the midst of her. There is a river, the streams, whereof make glad the city of God. What was he talking about? He was talking about that river that Hezekiah brought inside. I'm so thankful today that Jesus said, It shall be in you a river of living water springing up unto everlasting life. You don't have to go somewhere else to find it. God said, I'm going to put it right inside of you. It's going to be like an artesian well. You've got a source and a resource that's inside of you that will refresh you. And when the enemy tries to dry you out, you can say, thank God I can have a move of God in my heart. Thank God I can have a move of the Spirit in my heart because I've got a well. In that well is within me. That well. It's one of the great innovations that Hezekiah brought to us. In fact, when they brought it inside of the, the city, they, they carved out an area. It was 18 feet deep, 53 feet long, and I think 20 feet wide. Big old deep pool. You know what they called that pool? They called that pool the Pool of Siloam. Sound familiar? What did Jesus say? Go and wash in the what? In Hezekiah's pool. The one that because of a revival, oh God, help us. Because of a revival, somebody, God moved on with invention to say, we got to build something that isn't just going to protect us and bless us now, but we've got to build something that's going to bless generations to come. There's going to be a blind man that's going to have to go to a pool of Siloam. But Hezekiah said, we're going to do some things. Come on, church, that's going to outlast us. That's going to outlive us. That's going to go beyond the right here and the right now. It's going to bless us now. But do you know it's going to bless a generation to come? And if the Lord tarries, may God help us to be involved in engineering things that not only bless us, but bless our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and a generation that is yet unborn. 
Jesus. That's what revival brings. Revival brings a spirit inside of people that says, man, let's build what we've never built. Let's do what we've never done. Let's go where we've never gone. Come on, is that pioneering spirit alive and river of life? Or are you bored? Let me tell you what will never move the kingdom forward. Apathy. Apathy will never move the kingdom forward. But let me tell you what will move the kingdom of God forward. Passion. Revival. Desire for God. Desire for the kingdom of God. You give me passion and there's going to be innovation. You give me someone that says, I'm hungry for God. I've got to have God working in my life. Come on. I don't want to just be a church cheerleader. I don't want to just be a church goer. I want to be a participator in this revival that God has. I want to be a participator. And you give me someone that's a participator. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to have creativity that begins to flow out of their heart and out of their life. And they're going to say, what can I do for my God? That's what Hezekiah did. His first innovation, his second innovation is very, very interesting, very personal, personal to me. It's a tremendous. It is the Proverbs collection. Now watch, Proverbs 25 and 1. Can you bring that up on the screen, Proverbs 25 and 1? Notice what it says. You may not have maybe just passed right by this in your Bible reading, Proverbs 25 and 1. These also are also Proverbs of Solomon, notice, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. Hezekiah, as a result of revival that was moving in his heart, there were Proverbs, the Proverbs of Solomon were just free-floating around. There had not been a general composition or bringing together of all of these works. And in the middle of this God-sent revival, the Lord moved on the spirit of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah said, we've got to bring all the Proverbs together. Oh, hallelujah. We've got to bring all the Proverbs together. You say, what's the value in that? Because if you're, we're going to have revival, we also have to have wisdom. Now, I love, personally, I love, we love together. We love the book of Psalms and we love the book of Proverbs. Now, these are companion books. The beauty of both of these books put together is the book of Psalms. There's 150 of them. You know what Psalms do for us? Psalms teach us how to reach up vertically to God. They literally give us the picture into the heart of a man who had both tragedy and triumph in his life. We see the struggles of a godly man that learned when he was on the top of his mountain to say, it was the Lord that did it for me. And we read David celebrating his relationship with God. When he's in the valley low, we hear him saying things like, Why art thou downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. We see him on the high times and on the low times. But the most important thing you'll see in Psalms is that they teach us to reach out to God vertically. I need God in my life, right? That's what Psalms do. Now, Proverbs do something very, very different. The Psalms bring us vertically to God. The Proverbs teach us how to take this godliness and how to use it horizontally and how we are to interact in this life and in this world. 
I've given advice to young parents, and it's something I wish I would have done more of. We did a fair amount of it, but not enough of it. I wish I would have done more. I've, I've advocated with young parents in saying that one of the best things that you could ever do is raise your children on the book of Proverbs. Raise your, teach your children Proverbs because you know what Proverbs will do? Proverbs will teach you how to interact in this world. It'll teach you how to avoid the woman of ill repute. It'll teach you the desire to have wisdom in your life. It will teach you what a work ethic is all about. It'll teach you wisdom principles because Psalms will teach us how to walk with God and Proverbs will teach us how to live our lives. Oh God, help us. And we need that. We need the wisdom on how to live life. We need wisdom from God. And Hezekiah in this revival has this idea, man, there's all this wisdom that's available. And he begins this copying project of bringing together all of these disparate uh, proverbs that were floating out there. And we have a book of proverbs, at least part of it, because of a revival during Hezekiah's time. And Hezekiah innovated. And Hezekiah recognized that if we're going to have revival, we've got to have wisdom encapsulated. And we've got to have wisdom brought together. And that's what he brought us. Now, God gave him Proverbs. It was his great passion. So we have Proverbs 25 and 1, right? These are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. So what do you think is the very first proverb that Hezekiah begins with? He says, okay, these are Proverbs of Hezekiah. Proverb number 1, next verse, verse number 2. Notice what... what Hezekiah's proverb, first one that he brings up. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Oh, I feel, I feel Holy Ghost revelation. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Do you get it? It's the glory of God to conceal a thing. You know what God does? God's hiding all kinds of stuff. And to the uninterested, they'll never find it. It is the glory. There is revelation. There is insight. There are hitherto undiscovered things. They're everywhere. The world is full of them. It's one of the great journeys of life, of trying to figure some things out about life. You may be a young parent. You may be a young husband or a young wife. You may be a brand new businessman that's starting a new business. You may be trying a new endeavor, and you're saying, how? How do we do it? And there's all kinds of undiscovered concepts that are waiting, that are waiting for someone to discover them. And God said, that's the way that I operate. He said, I conceal things all the time. I've got, I've got hidden secrets all over the world. And what God said is he said, I'm looking for somebody. It's the honor of kings to search out a matter. In other words, royalty will have the kind of spirit, notice, that is inquisitive that is curious, that I wonder about this and I wonder about that and I'm facing an impossible, impassable situation. How are we going to get past this? And the Bible says it's the glory of God to conceal, but it's the honor of kings that they would search it out. The very first proverb that Hezekiah mentions. You know why? Because he was curious. Hallelujah. It's what drove him to drive through solid rock and bring a well 
What do you think he was on his mind when that was happening? Huh, how are we going to do this? How's this going to work? How are we going to? How, how can we assemble a team? How are we going to do this? How can we figure this out? He didn't just say, "There's going to be a hundred thousand people in your life that tell you all the things that can't be done." Very candidly, I've learned over my short life history that I'm not really interested in what the people tell me of how and why things can't be done. In fact, those are the people that annoy me. It can't be done, and let me tell you why. I mean, this is just me. I've, I've got a little bit of an attitude about this kind of thing. If you want to motivate me to do something, tell me it can't be done. Because something inside it, you can just acquiesce. You can live your whole life just saying it's just going to be the way it's always been. But God put creativity inside of you because he is a creator that puts creativity inside of his creation. And he puts something inside of every one of us that we have an ability within us that he puts there because of our creator. That we don't have to just accept the way that everything is in life. But we can with his anointing and his blessing as a result of revival say okay how are we gonna do this what are you saying I'm saying we need more God ideas you say well what about good ideas we need good ideas too but you know we need even more than good ideas we need God ideas we don't just need good ideas we need God ideas that's when like the light bulb goes off and you're like, man, what about this? Because the thing about God ideas is they outlive us. They live long past our lifetimes. God ideas, they go forward into the future. I'm calling this morning on all of God's people that the Lord would stir up this kind of a spirit. Because we're going to choose apathy or we're going to choose revival and creativity. We're going to choose this is the way that things are, or we're going to choose this is the way things can be. There's a lot of things I don't like about the way things are right now. And I'll tell you what I'm thinking about. Okay, Jesus, what we going to do? Let me tell you what apostolics do. Apostolics, counterpunch. That's what they do. When you get hit, you hit back. I mean spiritually, right? Look at the apostles throughout the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, they're preaching. They're in one city. They're doing really good, and they have revival in one city, and then they have a riot in the next city. They're throwing rocks at the preachers. They're, I mean, they're all bloodied and bruised and battered and in prison and messed up, mixed up. What are we going to do now? What do they do? Do they quit? Is that the apostolic way? No, they didn't quit. You know what they did? They pivoted. If you hit me here, I'm going to pivot here. And I tell you what we need. We need that kind of spiritual creativity in the 21st century America with what we're facing right here and right now. We need some people that, yes, the church is being hit. First time in my lifetime they ever tried to shut the doors of the, of the church. I'm not blaming it. I get it. I get corona. I get COVID. But you think for one single solitary second that the devil would not like to capitalize on that and keep the doors of the house of the Lord shut? But somebody, some bodies have got to rise up and say, in spite of that, we're going to have a revival in Jesus' name. I'm closing. My question for you this morning is why is it that the sinners end up with all the good ideas and all the innovation? Why? 
iPads, iPods, iPhones, technology. They got all the good ideas. Come on, we're the church of the living God. We ought to have the greatest ideas on planet Earth. Amen, Pastor Lichter, you're preaching awesome. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. Amen, I believe that. It's true. The church ought to have the greatest ideas in all of the world. Because our mission is the most valuable mission on planet Earth. And what my Bible tells me is that when Hezekiah had a revival, with that revival came creativity. With that revival came innovation. So, Sunday school, what we going to do? Youth ministry, what we going to do? Life groups, what we going to do? Prayer warriors, what we going to do? Soul winners, what we going to do? Tech team, what we going to do? Oh, well, you know, everything's shut down. Hey, Rev, everything's shut down. That's the way it is, man. Tough luck, Charlie. I guess we're just going to have to sit around and wait until everything opens back up. Good luck. <laughs> We'll have revival next year, 2022. We'll schedule revival. Revival will open back up. Till then, we're just gonna we're just gonna take it. Come on, church, don't fall asleep on me. Stan, I'm done. You say if you'd stop preaching so long, we wouldn't. It's been 42 minutes. I intentionally did not preach long this morning. I'm talking about innovation. Come on. I'm talking about innovation. I'm talking about prayer drives and prayer walks. I'm talking about prayer meetings. PM Live. When's it going to happen again? I don't know. Hopefully soon. We're working on it. We're <laughs> ready. Connections Fellowship. Life groups. Bus ministry. Hello. Door hangers. Everybody's afraid. Everybody isn't afraid. Maybe somebody's not afraid. Come on. Thrive class. Come on, using our technology. Or we can just do nothing. Either way. I'm saying, why don't we have a revival in Jesus' name? Why don't we allow God to stir us up, stir us up, stir us up? Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Why don't you throw your hands in the air? Let's worship God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.